Well, good morning again. I'm Kevin Allen, as you probably saw in the bulletin. Um, I had the privilege of being for you once in this last summer when we were out in the parking lot, and what a joyful time that was. Um, it's a little bit more comfortable in here, um, so thank you for having me back. Um, I work with a ministry called Christianity Explored, where I'm the ministry and training director for North America, working um, to equip churches to um, share the good news of Jesus, the gospel, in a relational and biblically faithful way. That's what we do. Um, and my wife Beth and I are up from um, our home church at Evergreen in Salem, and so we're not too far from you. In fact, um, thank you for your hospitality here in Newburgh. We always think romantic thoughts of Newburgh because uh, my wife's mo mother, um, as a widow, was living here in Newburgh and met her new husband, who is her next door neighbor. So you never know what's what can take place right here in Newburgh. And so they got married here and live about 20 minutes from here. So it is a special place for our family. Well, our worship each week is a gathering of God's people coming, of course, to glorify the one true God. And as such, then each week we have to be realigned um, in spirit and in mind to who God is and who we are. Because each week we are bombarded by the world, the flesh, and the devil into believing falsehoods in regards to who God is and who we are. And our passage today will paint three pictures of a Christian. So we're going to focus on what the truth of the Bible is in regards to who we are in Christ. And so if you are in Christ as a child of God, hopefully this will very much encourage you as you see these pictures of what it means to be a Christian. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is going to be a longer passage, um, and we're just going to look at three um, pictures from there. We're, you could go much more in depth. Um, we're not going to today, but let's look at verse 12 of chapter 2, and then we'll go through chapter, chapter 3. This is the Word of God. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, those who are being saved among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for such things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of new covenant, 
not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to its end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if if there is glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what had once had glory had come to have no glory at all because the glory that surpasses it. For if what is brought to an end came with glory, much more what is permanent will have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites may not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, that veil is lifted. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of the new covenant, the power of our relationship with you because of Jesus. And so, God, we thank you for your Son. Holy Spirit, we thank you for applying the work of the Son into our lives. And we pray now that you will um, convict where we need conviction, that you will comfort where we need comfort, and that you will encourage where we need encouragement now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 1779, Captain James Cook, the British explorer who uh, was the first Westerner to, among other places, um, discover the islands of Hawaii, landed on the big island of Hawaii. He had already spent time on Oahu and Kauai, but when he made landfall on, um, on the big island, it was during the midst of a religious festival, and he was immediately treated as a god. And so for a month, he exploited that belief, and uh, he did this to his own betterment and to the betterment of his troops. About a month into it, though, one of his um, crew members died. And at that point, the people of the island realized that they were mere mortals. The British sailors were as mere mortals as they were, and the attitude towards the British changed. He took off on his ship. One of his ships was damaged, and so he had to come back to that island. When he came back, he was treated much differently. In fact, um, mobs came and uh, attacked the sailors, and Captain Cook himself was killed. Well, what's interesting about this is there's two real true lessons that can be applied from the, the time of Captain Cook. First of all, sometimes we, like the Hawaiian natives, make something or someone gods. We do that oftentimes. We are idol factories, Calvin puts it, and we're exploited by these gods, and ultimately they let us down as we realize they can't fulfill, as we ultimately realize these things are not what they claim to be. 
These gods promise freedom and life, but they deliver slavery and death. Then there are other times that we are more like Captain Cook. We want to view ourselves as a god, a god in and to ourselves. Um, the first lie of Satan would be that we would be like God is one that we tend to believe even today. But in the end, like Captain Cook, we end up dying. Now, while here in Newburgh, I doubt that any of you will be hailed by a, as a god by a large group of people. If you are, let me know if that ever takes place. I would love to see the video of that. Um, but we must realize that, nevertheless, we are faced with that same message from our culture and our world that we can be a god unto ourselves. This is what the culture sells us day after day, and it does this through the twin values of permissiveness, that I can do what I want, and you can do whatever you want. You don't have to report to anyone. You don't have to listen to anyone. You can do as you want. And the other value of our culture of that of tolerance, that I can think as I want. These, of course, are directly contrary to a God who says, no, I have a better way, and I love you. You see, our world is telling us to live without regard to our creator God, that we don't need him, they say. And this leads ultimately to the pride of arrogance and, uh, and ultimate, um, ultimately putting on ourselves the idea of being our, our own God. And so on the one hand, we have that tendency of, of pride and arrogance. On the other hand, our world tells us that our life is simply the result of a cosmic accident. And your life is actually meaningless. You're nothing more than the cells that make up your, your body. And uh, there's nothing outside the observable world that we see. Now, this leads, ultimately, to depression and emptiness. When we look at God's word today, we're going to see the gospel that saves us both from pride and depression. The gospel evens that out for us. It tells us who we are in Christ and saves us from both of those extremes. And so we're looking at the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, 2 Corinthians um, is, is fascinating because Paul is talking to a people that obviously are just like us in the sense of they're all tempted, we're all tempted in the same ways. The, the people of Corinth were in the midst of um, a very successful economic uh, portion of the, the Greek world at that point, or the Roman world, but um, Corinth was like the, the new capital of the region. It had surpassed Athens, who had been the academic capital, and Paul wanted to see the church established in Corinth. But if you know anything about 1 Corinthians, it was a church that was ripe with problems, one problem after another. So the book of 1 Corinthians is made up of Paul's correcting the Corinthian people and doing so in love. He loved these people dearly. Well, as he had done so, they had partially responded and partially not responded to Paul's, um, Paul's coming to them. And so, as you can tell even in our passage, he was at pain trying to decide what he should do. Um, he didn't know if he should come back. In fact, he was stuck in a bit of a uh, no-win situation. He had conflict with the church. Some people were questioning his credentials. We saw that in our passage. 
They're saying, what is your proof that you have anything to offer us? Um, what, are, what is your resume? Um, and yet he still had to confront them with some issues taking place in the church of needing to call them to repentance. He was unsure how he would be received by the church. You know, sometimes we have a romanticized view of the early church and of the apostles and just think, wow, what if our, our next pastor, what if we could have the Apostle Paul be the next pastor of this church? And guess what? The people of Corinth didn't want him. Um, there was some rebellion in there. It was a messy situation. And he, although he loved them, he's quite transparent in this conflict. He's basically saying, I don't know what to do. I, I'm kind of waiting for Titus. I'd love to have a friend along as I'm doing this confrontation. I'm not sure whether I come in and make a short correction with them. If I come in and do this wrong, it's going to do more damage than good. There needs to be some confronting of sin, but it needs to be done in the right way. And so, but if I don't come, the Corinthians are going to accuse him of, of not following through with his word. And so, He's very much struggling with how do I show love to these people, confront them, and do it in a way that they know um, who, who I am. It was a strained relationship, um, a very strained relationship, and he desired to, uh, to still show these people who they were in Christ. And so we see, starting in verse 12, he said that he came to Troas, which was uh, 10 miles from the ancient city of Troy, and um, as he was coming through this area, his spirit was not at rest because he didn't know what to do about coming um, to Corinth. And so later on, we see that Paul's circumstances were not good. It would be easy for us to see Paul as defeated. He could have been very discouraged in life situations. Well, my question is, what about you? Where do you find yourself? Can you relate to Paul? Do you feel defeated? Our world seems very discouraged right now. Perhaps there's conflict or estrangement in your family that weighs heavy on you, or perhaps a broken relationship that still echoes in the back of your mind. Perhaps you've been sinned against, or maybe worse, it was done by someone in the church, like Paul was dealing with, or someone you consider close, and it's not resolved. Perhaps your career is not what you thought it would be at this point. Perhaps there's money issues that haunt you. Perhaps you struggle at school. Perhaps you wonder if you'll meet your spouse, the spouse that God has in mind, and you feel lonely. Perhaps you wonder why you struggle in your marriage and you feel lonely. Um, perhaps you feel defeated spiritually and feel like past mistakes and sins disqualify you and that God's done with you. Perhaps you feel that the discipline of life is of your life is not where you want it to be, so you believe that God is disappointed with you. Or perhaps this past year has left you empty. Um, as we've all been unable to meet together, the freedom that, of life that we've had in the past has been so altered that we can't hug or shake hands. We had to do elbow bumps during the fellowship time. Part of our humanity has been taken away. And of course, that all affects us. That's what's going on. This, that if that's what's going on in your life, in the midst of this, Paul says, wait a second. Let me paint three pictures. And he wants to remind himself. He wants to re remind the Corinthians. And he is reminding us that we can have confidence. We can have confidence in God. 
And so Paul paints three pictures of our reality of being a Christian. These truths he presents are dependent upon relationship, but they're independent of circumstance. You're going to see this in all three. Each of these pictures are dependent on relationship and independent on circumstance. We're going to see in verses 14 through 17 that we're declared victors and we're led in triumph. In uh, chapter 3, verse 2, that we see that we are a letter of reference, a letter of credibility on people's hearts. And then in verse 18 of chapter 3, we see that we are being transformed. I think it's important that Paul paints these pictures. We know that uh, as you struggle, as we struggle, we need to be around those who can paint pictures for us. Even this week, I was struggling with an issue, met with a friend uh, down in Eugene, and he was able to paint the picture of something he went, that went on in his life. That time that he spent with me painting a picture of his own struggle that he went through ministered deeply to me. I think that as we see God's Word paint these pictures, this should powerfully impact us as well. So let's take a look at that first picture, and that is in verses 14 through 17 of chapter 2. Paul says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for such things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So the first picture is one who is being led in triumph. Thanks be to God who leads us in triumph. The picture here is a picture of the Roman triumph. When the Romans would come through and destroy a, a new section of the world and conquer a new section, they would oftentimes bring slaves back with them and have a parade back in Rome or other major cities where the general was being exalted in what we would call a parade or a triumph. In this triumph parade, they would, of course, be lighting off incense smells, and oftentimes this general would have a slave from the, emperor, from, from the empire that has been captured, from the region captured, in the carriage with him. He would be carrying him, and they would be going down the main road, and the people in the city would see a representative of the conquered, the conquered region, and they would see the general who did this. Now, to the slave, the captured man who is in this, uh, in this uh, chariot with the general, he is smelling the same smells as the general. He is going down this road. He's hearing the same sounds. He sees the same sights. To him, though, those smells are an awful smell because he knows he's on his way to his death. To the general, those are incredible smells. He is being glorified as a great leader. To one, it's a smell of death. To the other, it's a smell of life. Now, Paul says, here's something different. Our victor is not a Roman general. It is Christ himself. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Christ has the victory over us. We're the ones who are conquered by him. 
And as we come to him in faith and we are his child, we are in that chariot with him. Only we are not going to face our death. We share in Christ's life. So for those who are in Christ, the smells of the victory are sweet smells. You see, this is independent of circumstance. Paul says in verse 17, who is sufficient for such things? This is nothing we deserve, nothing we could earn. We could do nothing to keep it, but we are given it as a gift. Paul is saying, I can't have this victory on my own. And life will never be good enough for me to have victory on my own. Instead, it is dependent on Christ winning this victory. And it is dependent on relationship. Only for those who are in a relationship with Christ. A second note about this passage. Paul says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. He's always leading us. In the Greek, it's a present but it's also a continuous action. So in other words, even when you don't feel it, even when you don't experience it, even when you're thinking, boy, this life is miserable right now, the reality is God is leading you in victory. Again, independent of how you're feeling, independent of your circumstances, you are victors. So where is he leading? Well, he's leading us to come and die and live. He's leading us to a great victory, to be um, messengers of the new covenant, as we see in this passage. We see that Paul says, as a result of this time, we are commissioned by God in the sight of God. We speak in Christ. As a result, we, like Christ, spread this aroma to the world. And we have to recognize a couple things about us taking this, this victory lap through the world is that is that some will not respond to it well. Some will smell that and say, this stinks. This stinks. You're telling me that I can't be God myself? You're telling me I can't believe as I want? You're telling me I can't think as I want? You're telling me that God has rule over my life? That stinks. That smells like death to me. And others will respond and saying, oh, but what if this God is good? What if he cares deeply about me? And as a result, they smell that same smell and they say, oh, that's good. That's life. That's freedom. That's what I've been looking for my whole life. And that is where God leads us in triumphant procession where we are spreading the knowledge and the aroma of him through the world. Who is sufficient for such things? We're going to see Paul stops and ponders that every time in a different way. Who is sufficient? The second picture we see is that of powerful letters of reference. Look at chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You can tell Paul's own uh, struggle with the Corinthian church. He's trying to say, what does it take for me to be accepted by you? Um, what type of reference do you want? And he's saying, you yourselves are a letter of recommendation. What is the best reference? It is someone doing ministry with you. It's in relationship. Paul says, you know me. We're, we, ha we have a relationship to one, with, with you. And 
And in verse 3, and you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of the human heart. Such is the confidence we have through Christ towards God. And again, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us to be sufficient ministers of a new covenant. You see, it seems that Paul was needing to prove himself to the church of Corinth. Um, The relationship was struggling, and the temptation would have been to get out his resume. And he had a resume. You mean, he could have given the Corinthians the same message he gave the Philippians. If you look back, you can see my resume. Philippians, he says, If anyone thinks he has a reason of confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But Paul doesn't do this in this case. He doesn't give out his academic, his religious credentials. Instead, he says there's something much more powerful to a Christian, and that is being ingrained on someone's heart, engraved in someone's heart as a letter of reference. In fact, in Philippians 3, he goes on and says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's not that all the things he would have done for God were worth, worthless. It was just they're worth less than the relationship with God. It can convict, but it can't give life. The law is glorious, but not in comparison. And Paul goes on, and you can see in that passage, and read it when you get home, we see more and more in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 3 that Paul is saying, yeah, look at the, the ministry of Moses. It was good, but in comparison to the message of the gospel, it is fleeting. It is worthless. And he's saying, you are the real letters of reference. You are the credible profession of my ministry. Now think about it. If you've applied for a job, they're actually oftentimes will ask for references, correct? How awesome is it when you write down your references and you go, you know, she's going to give me a good reference or he's going to give me a good reference. Well, Paul says, you are going to give the best reference I can because I have seen God work in your life. That is the picture of who you are. So think about this. Again, it's independent of circumstance. It's not that we're sufficient for things. It's that God is at work in us. But it's entirely entirely dependent on relationship. You're building into someone else's life or someone building into your life. So here's two points of application on this picture of being a letter of reference. Take time this week to think about the people or, or person who has invested the gospel into your life, who spent time to get to know you, who spent the time with you to share the gospel. Take time this week to thank them. Send them a note. Or if it's someone in this church, grab a coffee with them and say, can I spend some time with you? Thank you for investing. Because I see that I'm a letter of reference to your ministry. And then secondly, think about who can you invest in? Who can you invest in? 
Our third picture and final picture is at the very end of this passage. It's in verse 18. Paul's comparing the ministry of Moses going on the mountain, receiving the law of God. When Moses went up there, he had to veil his face because he came face to face with God, and it would have been too much for the Israelites to, to see. And Paul says, yet we, in verse 18, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. And we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory into the other. This picture is for those who may be discouraged and saying, I'm not sure I see God doing any work in my life. It seems like it's been so long. I feel so stagnant. Well, Paul's saying, no, you are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Moses could not behold the glory of God with unveiled face, but we can. You come face to face with God in Jesus Christ. And because of that, you are being changed. It's independent of circumstance. It is dependent on God's spirit. We see that. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. C.S. Lewis once wrote, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if only in a nightmare. All day long, we're in some degree helping each other to one of these two destinations. What about you? Where do you most need to reflect on the good news of the gospel this week? These are good pictures of what God is doing in you because of Jesus. Do you need to reflect that the end is not uncertain? That God is victorious? That he is leading you in victory even though you may not be feeling it right now? He's bringing you along with him. The end is not uncertain. We know that what the end of the story is. And God has the victory. Do you need to reflect on that? Do you need to reflect that God has used people in your life and that he is using you in other people's lives for his glory? Or do you need to reflect on the fact that God is still transforming you? He isn't done. He is moving you from one degree of glory to the other as you are in Christ. That is the good news. That is the good news we're desperate for each day. That is what the the best news that our world needs to hear. And it's the good news that we celebrate in this Lord's table. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together to come to this table, this table of grace. We are in desperate need of your ministry of grace, this meal of grace that's before us. And so, Lord, as we come here, help us to confess what we know about you to be true and help us to come hungry, hungry for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.